welcome back to another episode of That's Business. Today's guest is a near and dear friend of mine, Clinton Hubble. He's a native of the Pacific Northwest and a graduate of the University of Washington in Seattle. He attended the University of Detroit Mercy School of Law, where he received a book award and was a member and officer of the Moot Court Board of Advocates. He's a frequent speaker and volunteer for the Moot Court Coach at the University of Detroit Mercy School of Law. Also serves pro bono defense counsel and adversary proceedings brought against indigenous debtors in the unit. Wow, Clint, this is a lot of here in the Clint in the United States Bankruptcy Court for the Eastern District of Michigan. He's currently serving on the Access to Bankruptcy Courts panel of attorneys representing indigenous debtor debtors debtors debtors. We'll say debtors. And he was also recognized as a rising star in the 2018 edition of the Our Detroit Magazine. And Clint, thank you so much for being on this podcast. I hope I didn't butcher your intro too much. And just tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you, Angela. I know we've been talking about doing this for a while. So <laughs> yes, thank you for, for organizing it. Uh, and my deficiency was that I didn't. <laughs> You're a busy guy. <laughs> I don't like talking about myself too much and it's even mm -hmm. hard to hear the intro but thank you that was very <laughs> kind and generous um my name's clinton hubble i'm a lawyer i live in ferndale uh fabulous ferndale uh, michigan mm -hmm. my office uh, is here in southfield i'm in private practice and have been for almost 14 years i'm a father of three uh human babies <laughs> and three photo babies as well and uh, we're all crammed into a good old-fashioned Ferndale bungalow mm -hmm. and uh, living a lot of life. But that's about me. Um, thanks for the uh, intro. I did come from the Pacific Northwest. That's where I grew up. So I'm a transplant here to Michigan. But uh, my family's got deep roots in Michigan. So it's kind mm -hmm. of like coming back. Right. When did you decide you wanted to be a lawyer and get into the business that you're in right now? I've wanted to be a lawyer uh, for kind of a long time since really college. Okay. I started college in 1999 and uh, that's really when, when I started, you know, really wanting to be a lawyer. I started my college career studying engineering and decided I wanted to go in a different direction. And so I uh, began kind of moving things toward uh, the law path. And then I actually had two years off between college and when I started law school. So sorry for that whole six year period. That's what I was working toward going to law school. And when did you decide you wanted your own practice or did you have, because I always like to ask business owners, what kind of made you say, oh, I could do this and start my own practice? Right. So that's like more of a story, right? So I, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm sure your listeners and everybody out there know but uh, 2008 was kind of a wild year. Yeah. And that was the year I graduated from law school and I took the Michigan bar examination. And I remember in July of 2008, I was at the end of July, I was taking the bar examination at the Breslin Center at Michigan State University. And literally as my compatriots and I were taking the bar exam in July of 2008, the financial world was absolutely collapsing around us. Yes. It had started about four or five months prior to that. And then bubbles started bursting. You started hearing about Bear Stearns collapsing mm -hmm. at, at Washington Mutual. And then the House of Cards came tumbling down. 
So I had friends that I graduated with in 2008 who were going to start law firm jobs and things like that, and their tickets were getting pulled. So law firms started putting the job offers on hold. Everybody, nobody, nobody, we're not hiring anybody. And then kind of 2008 was the initial bomb. And then 2009 was when the aftermath started. And that's when the layoffs started come in earnest in big time. So then law firms were laying off associates or retaining very few of their uh, junior associates. So there was a lot of graduates in those years, seven, uh, six, seven, eight, and not a lot of jobs. And so starting my own practice was not like a lifelong dream. It was born of, of sort of necessity. And so, you know, what we did was the Detroit hustle. Mm-hmm. My partner and I, Dylan, we, we decided, well, there's an old philosophy that says if you've got a pulse and a bar card, you can work. There's no such thing as an unemployed lawyer. So, uh, right. so we decided to, there was a few simple things that we could sell um, that didn't take an enormous amount of skill. You could sell bankruptcies, some small litigation matters. You could, you could do traffic tickets. We could do things that you know people still needed during the down economic times. For sure. But that could keep us employed. And so that's how we started. We It was pretty modest and pretty humble, our beginnings. <laughs> And then sort of over time, over the last 13 years or so, we just kind of grew a law firm on top of that. How have you transitioned into the other industries you help? Because this is something that you are not the traditional lawyer, which this is why I wanted you on the podcast. But how did you transition into you do small businesses, you do nonprofits, you do all of these amazing services. But what went into that? Well, I was kind of two forces that governed how (laughs) my practices developed and I think the first force was just my client's needs. So as I acquired a client list and I I was building people that I was working for, they just started to need things that were not necessarily in in my wheelhouse. So I was referring things and I was sending things out and I said, you know, so they needed things. But then there was the second force, which was that I followed my interests. So if I would get interested in something that I didn't know about, I would start learning about it and trying to follow it along so that I could use the drive of my interest to help my clients. And that added four or five practice areas for me uh, just because I'm interested in them. And I, I love small business owners. I love nonprofit operators. Tax matters have kind of become a part of all of that. And I like working for people who like working for others. So if they're in a business or if they're in a nonprofit, they're really adding to life for a lot of people as well as, you know, building themselves up building their employees up, building others up. I really like to be a part of that. That's incredible. I followed what I was interested in. I followed what I like doing, uh, that I like helping people. Um, I like helping businesses, especially good ones that that are not necessarily self-interested. I mean, we're a capitalist. I mean, businesses are <laughs> self-interested, but right. I find that I like business owners in general. There's some that are not great, but obviously, but, but in general, <laughs> like with anything, yeah, right? but especially young entrepreneurs who have a product, who have a service, who want to get it out there in the marketplace. I admire the courage and individualism it takes to do that because it's a huge risk and it's a big step to get into the market in that way as an owner. Uh, there's an no, enormous amount of risk involved. There's usually their own money tied up in it. Um, so they're risking their own, you know, futures on their own ventures. And there's a risk element, but to me, it strikes me as like a fundamentally 
American thing to do. Yeah. Have something that you've built to sell that you want to put into commerce and make better and improve and, and make money on. And I like that idea and I always have. And so that's sort of it. I follow that. <laughs> right. And of course, this is not like a one size fits all as far as advice goes, but where do you see kind of some common mistakes or common problems maybe, you know, some young entrepreneurs have or wanting, like they have this idea, they don't know where to go with it? Well, it, it sort of depends. I mean, because, that's such a longer answer. <laughs> it really does because people are approaching like business from like different places. I mean, some people have a lot of capital to get into a business. Others don't. So the person who's got a good idea or a product, but has no capital, their concern is on capitalizing their enterprise, their, their thing, mm -hmm. you know, so getting money, are we going to borrow it? Are we going to raise it through, uh, getting partnerships going or, or, you know, member, uh, and I'll see with members, some members bring money, other members bring expertise in the product or service. And we try to mix those together into a going concern. And so it, I think the money aspect when it comes to starting a business is the big looming question over the whole thing. Like, sure. how, how am I going to take care of myself while we, we start this thing? Where's the startup capital coming from? You know, do I have to give away equity to be with a partner <laughs> who is bringing the checkbook and, and that kind of thing? That is, I think, concern number one. Concern number two is my experiences. I, I don't know if this is general. I don't want to make too many generalizations, but my experiences that if people get into a business and they start doing whatever it is they do, they're selling their product, they're selling their service, they actually like shock themselves with their own success. They're like, well, I was anticipating all these problems. You know, we're actually doing pretty well. Like right. we're, I'm, I'm doing the thing. We're baking the cakes. We're selling the merchandise. We're making the architecture services, we're doing the dentistry, we're doing the veterinary, whatever it is, you know, we're doing it. And, and they're kind of like, well, <laughs> I wasn't expecting to do well. And I was expecting to have all these problems. And I said, no, that's a good thing. Embrace that, right. you know, like it. And so I have discussions about, uh, with them. I love that moment because then we can come have discussions about, well, how's the way to responsibly grow? What kind of liability protections do we need in place, especially if you're like an occupational licensee of some kind, if you're doing uh, recruiting uh, under an occupational license, or if you're doing veterinary medicine, or if you're doing nursing, or if you're doing childcare services, or you're doing you know, something else, that food service, where you need constant involvement of the government, the health code, and, and you've got employees and papers flying around everywhere uh, all the time. It's a natural breeding ground for lots of discussions about lots of different things when somebody hits the success that they didn't anticipate. And so it can go 20 different directions. I mean, once in a while it goes the other way mm -hmm. and it doesn't work. Sure, of course. Then the discussion is, well, how do we put it down? If an idea is not working, I mean, we need to make some decisions. Are you going to continue to go into debt to fund making the thing go? Are you going to continue to you know, what are you going to do to how far are you willing to go with it to try to work your way out of it? And that's a different set of discussions. But I think the majority of them are the former. They shock themselves that they're actually doing the thing. And and I like the follow-up discussions of those things. Right. I love that. And my next question, you kind of just justified yourself of what makes you different than other lawyers. But a big piece of who you are, at least from my experience being your friend, is 
you really look at everything of like the betterment with people's interests in mind. Like when I was talking about opening up the recruiting end of my business, you're like, oh, you need to do this and do that. I'm like, oh my God, I don't even know. I don't know where to start. This is crazy. This is this. But, and I think what makes you very different is like, Yes, of course. Like you said, we live, capitalism exists for sure, but you very much look for your client's best interests in mind. And you're not like, oh, well, you talk to me, you know, charge thousands of dollars just for a quick conversation or anything like that. But what has kind of made you this person today or really where does that come from? I don't know. It's a, that's <laughs> the whole stuff life experience. I can't answer that in <laughs> sentence. I mean, that's just, it's just uh, everything, you know, we, what makes us us. Right. And you just go through things in life. And I think there's some decisions to be made. Like you can be that kind of lawyer. And there's plenty of those kind of lawyers who are billing machines and they will get into it. And, you know, maybe that's what your business needs is somebody with a lot of experience doing a very specific thing that is going to bill you a lot of money. And sometimes that's necessary. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people, I think, overbuy lawyers. Okay especially small businesses, because let's be honest, most of startup entrepreneurship is pretty user-friendly. We've made our system in our state and nationally as well. We've made it easy to start a business and easy to get into doing something for yourself. And that's our national policy and it's our state policy. And that's what we want to do. We want to make it easy for people to get into business and stuff. So Mm -hmm. a lot of lawyers who are doing like startups and and all these kind of things, I feel like are kind of figuring out a way to build their time. Like, what am I actually doing here? (laughs) What am I selling? What is the advice I'm giving that I can bill for? What value am I adding to this person's business? And I'm no different. I'm constantly asking myself those questions, but I guess there is a difference because I'm willing to say that I will only step in and add value when it's necessary. I'm not going to, I don't consider myself the billing machine. You know, I'm not going to sell somebody a bunch of things that they don't need in order to protect their liability uh, or protect them from liability, either personally or their business. Uh, Because the way the world is of laws is set up today, you know, most liability is, you know, bled off by limited liability entities Uh, that we've set up and also by insurance. So we can insure against most risks and losses and we can build entity our way out of a lot of liabilities if it's done right. So I try to keep it there when it comes to limiting, you know, personal liability for things to encourage people to take risks and go out and do a product or service. But there are some things that are really you know, detail necessary mergers and acquisitions, that kind of thing. If you're going to buy a business, you need to be detailed. There needs to be a high level of skill involved in that transaction. Um, There may be tax consequences, those things. So the building is justified. There's a lot of really specific details that need to be each looked at before a transaction like that is undertaken. So to start a business, you don't need a lawyer billing you $400 an hour for, you know, you don't need 25 grand for a lawyer, you know, to do right. these things, you know, up front. That's just, I think that's overbuying a lawyer. There's plenty of lawyers who are going to tell you you need that for sure, right. <laughs> but not this guy. And I love that you bring that up because that's always the first thing. Like when I have clients that start consulting businesses or anything else, they're like, oh, well, I'm getting a lawyer to get the LLC and I'm getting this and that. And I'm like, 
okay, but you don't need that. Like understand the difference. Like you don't need a lawyer. I didn't use a lawyer. I mean, I used you for other things like as we grew, but you're absolutely right. I mean, depending on the industry, not, but that's always, I feel like people's first is like, I need a lawyer and I need to do everything, but. You're not going to lose anything but money by doing that, right? I mean, but if you've got a limited amount of capital, you know, start your business. I mean, you probably want to put as much of it into actually starting the business as possible. Now, if, if you start up, you file articles, you've got your, you go out and have the informal conversations with the people that you need to, to get your capital together. Now we've got maybe a more complex relationship between the capital. I've got me a partner. I'm doing the product or service, but the partner's bringing the checkbook. Maybe a lawyer needs to step in there and offer some suggestions about an operating agreement or a partnership agreement that kind of sets out how the relationship works between the two of them. I don't want to undersell lawyers either at this point, because at that moment, that's probably a pretty good moment to get a lawyer involved that can, you know, make it clear. So everybody's on the same page about what the relationship is going into this business or capitalizing this business. You know, what do I get? What do you get? What risk of loss do I bear? What risk of loss do you bear? I mean, that's important because if, if something goes south and you need to draw the business down, it's like a divorce. That's the moment where people can get pissed off at each other, <laughs> you know, True. and start fights. And now all of a sudden we've got a complaint filed in a circuit court and we're, you know, we're spending what precious resources we have on lawyers litigating minutia. So that moment is probably a good moment to get a lawyer involved. Mm-hmm. And what are some of the maybe, I don't want to say must have questions, but must ask questions that say I'm going to look for a lawyer or Because I feel like, no offense, but lawyers are big and scary to a lot of people that it's like, oh my gosh, I don't know. It's a ton of money. Can I afford it? What do I ask? How do I find good ones? But what are some like quick and easy questions potential clients can ask lawyers? Like, I love this because (laughs) I feel like on the internet, there's like, you know, I'm hiring a lawyer, what to ask them. Yes. For some reason, number one question is how long have you been doing this? Like, I don't know why the internet... (laughs) tells people to ask that question because for two reasons. Number one is I promise I won't represent you if I'm not competent to, and all lawyers have to make that promise. Number two is why does it matter? So if I say I've been doing this for 14 years, do you as the person hiring a lawyer know the difference between somebody who's the capabilities of somebody who's been doing this for 14 years and the capability of somebody who's been doing this for 25 years? Also, do you need to know that difference? So like if you're starting a business and it's a basic thing and we've got a single member LLC, the difference between a lawyer who's been doing this for 14 years and 25 years, probably not a lot in terms of what you're going to get. So I don't know why the internet tells people to ask, how long have you been doing this? But that's a popular question. I don't think it's a very useful one, but it's one that asks. Agreed. I think better questions are, how much do you charge and what specifically are we getting for the money? So if I pay you this money, what is the deliverable? And lawyers are notoriously bad about this. In my fee agreements, I list, this is the deliverable. Mm-hmm. And there's a physical list and it is going to cost you this much money. If there are other things we need to do, we'll talk about that separately. But this is the deliverable for this project. This is how much it's going to cost. And I find people appreciate that because it's not open-ended. They can plan, right. say, I've got this much for this and that's... That's a good thing. It it helps for budgeting and planning. I think the one question, if I was hiring a lawyer, my question would be is, what are your billing practices? And what is the cutoff point? At what point do you stop billing me hourly and say, we need to cut our losses on this matter? Mm -hmm. 
because as a client, one of the things I think that has really screwed the legal profession royally is all the lawyers running around out there with open-ended billing arrangements who bill their clients 50 or $75,000 hourly for doing stuff without ever counseling the client on when it's going to stop and what the deliverable is. So the lawyer will just say, well, the client hired me to go litigate. Well, to what point? Like you've spent all right. money litigating something that a circuit court maybe doesn't even want to hear. <laughs> like they don't care. They don't care that you've spent $30,000 litigating over this point that in the grand scheme of your matter doesn't really matter that much. The only winner in that arrangement is the lawyer. <laughs> so, so that's the thing that I think drives clients nuts. It drives me nuts. And so I think clients should know what they're in for, you know, what is the deliverable? And it's noted mm -hmm. for any other service industry. If you go to the auto body shop, they're going to make you a quote. They're going to say, this is the deliverable. This is how much it's going to cost. You go to build a house service. The builder is going to say, this is the deliverable. This is when. And I think most experienced lawyers should know the answers to those questions should know, even in litigation where they're going to say, oh, no, it's open-ended. There's so many question marks. We don't know anything. They know how this goes. All right. And they should be able to tell you with a, not a certainty, but with a pretty good idea of how something's going to go. That's how to gauge the experience of a lawyer in my, my sense. You know, if the lawyer gives you a good answer to that question and says, listen, this is an operating agreement. We're starting your business. These are the three things you need. We need to get a tax ID. We need to start your books properly. Uh, we need to get you with a good accountant. We need to get you an operating agreement, especially if we've got outside capital coming in. We need to make sure you're properly insured. So this is going to cost you X amount of dollars. And that's what we're going to do to get you a good start. Mm -hmm. They should be able to tell you that. And it should be pretty clear in your mind, uh, if not explicitly clear in writing. So that's what I would ask them. As a side note, second question, I might ask them if they're actually interested in the stuff that they're doing. It's just a personal question. So, Oh, I like that. Not how long have you been doing it, but like, do you like what you do? Just out of curiosity, because uh, we happen to know that in the legal profession, there are a lot of really miserable lawyers who hate what they do, but they <laughs> yes. keep doing it because it's lucrative. And so I think in any profession, this is what demarks a profession from a trade which is that you are intellectually curious and interested in the subject matter of what you're doing and compassionate about it. If you're a doctor, you know, you can do some things. If, if you're an intellectually curious and compassionate doctor, you're going to be a fantastic doctor. If you're a lawyer and eh, you graduate, you pass the bar, good for you, you and 100,000 other people in Michigan, whatever. But if you're an intellectually curious and you're a compassionate lawyer, then you can do other things. And I think that goes for any profession. If you can ask your lawyer those questions and they, they exude that kind of energy, then I think you're making a good choice on a lawyer. It goes, like you said, with any profession of, yes, I will sit here and complain about the plethora of issues we've had, but I still wouldn't change it for the world. That's where you can feel like the energy when someone really loves what they do. And you are one of those people. Like, you're my favorite person I am friends with on Facebook, that's for sure. But you just like, you're passionate about this. Like you give like the full depth and 
quite frankly, like you don't give a fuck what anyone else says or what they have to say for it. Like you look out for the best interests of your clients, your friends, like just everyone around you. And that's my absolute favorite thing about you. But well, that's so nice. Yeah, we have to. I mean, as lawyers, we have right. that for our clients. And but I like to think that's just a good way to be in general. You know, right. But not everyone is. That's what I've learned. I mean, the amount of resumes I've fixed or bad career advice my clients have received. I'm like, oh, dear Lord, no, no, like, don't do that. Like, listen to me. And that's the same thing. Like, there are bad lawyers out there. And at the end of the day, like, trust your gut feeling. I mean, I preach this every single week is if you have bad, bad feeling on someone, don't go forward with them. I mean, it's super simple. I mean, not everything is simple, but, you know. Okay, something else about you that I really love is that you are a huge family guy. You are not the, I'm going to work 100 hours a week. I'm never going to see my family or anything like that. Like you, at least from what we've talked about too, like you always make time for the kiddos. Your videos are so cute of them all. Like they, your kids, your wife, they clearly adore you. But how did you decide where that work-life balance comes from for you? Uh, Okay, first of all, credit Emily, my wife. (laughs) <laughs> we love Emily. <laughs> I have a 100% in public. I have zero credit for documenting <laughs> the happiness of my children. Like, I'm glad they're happy and they are, but like, actually projecting that is 100% her and 100% of the work she does. Um, love it. And of the hard work, uh, you know, and the fact that I get to be a happy, proud father is like mostly because of the work that she is doing. Mm-hmm. So, 100% that gets credited. Of course. I guess, second caveat is. I hope she gets to hear this at some point. So she gets to hear the praise, but uh, <laughs> we'll send it to her. Right. But, uh, but work life is, you know, it's, it's a struggle for everybody. I am privileged. Right. I mean, I think people who are in private practice, like I am are privileged because if I need to step out to go do something, I can't, mm-hmm. I don't report necessarily to a lawyer and stuff. And so I can also take work home. I can build my work into the time that I have, as opposed to, nine to five, you have to come in and do this. I mean, we do keep office hours and that's where most of my appointments are, but it's important to get away from this. I mean, it's, I can't remember where lawyers are on the horrible mental health scale just these days. Like, I don't know, what are we, like number one at le- or number three or I something? I think you're up, you're up there, that's right. for sure. And right. also, yeah, so, I mean, and we've got a lot of press about that. Like our Supreme Court here in Michigan is aware of this. Our bar association in Michigan is aware of this. I think they're starting to offer programming for lawyers and resources for mental health stuff. And it's important to talk about it. I'm not afraid to talk about it. And also our court, you know, for litigants is is doing like the mental health courts and the, the stuff that is, I think, important work to acknowledge that humans are humans and humans are going to do human things and humans are going to have human problems. I wish people had at least the kind of work-life arrangement I had, but I mean, I think it even needs to go further. I mean, we have to be able to separate clearly, you know, my job, the thing that I'm doing for someone for profit and being away with my kids. And I, at least in my mind, I try to keep those things separate. And I also desperately have held on to the idea that I don't work weekends and I've managed to do that pretty successfully so far, which is amazing because most lawyers, I think envy that. Oh, right. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so, yeah. So that's awesome. No, it's hard. I mean, you're constantly thinking about the business. You think any good business owner is like you constantly think of the business even after hours are, oh, this is a great idea. I've had some of the best ideas at the bar. And I'm like, oh, text myself that for later. We'll, we'll sure. uh, look at that tomorrow morning. But sure. I love that. 
And as we wrap up here, are you taking on new clients and where can listeners find you? HubbardDuval.com, uh, 248-595-8617. That's our email address. That's our website. Or, I'm sorry, our website and our phone number. That's where they can find us. I'm all over kind of stuff too. I mean, there's superlawyerslawyers.com, mm-hmm. Michigan, all my contacts up there. And so those are easy ways to get us. Yes, we're taking new clients. We actually just started again during COVID. We we got so bogged down uh, that we actually had to stop taking on new clients, but we have that capacity back for new clients. So yes, we are. Uh, we're taking on clients for small business stuff. My partner's taking clients for estate planning. I represent a number of trustees and uh, directors, boards of directors. So those are the kinds of business that I love to have and I, and I love to work on. Amazing. Well, Clint, thank you so much for being a guest. And as always, for listeners, tune in next week for another episode of That's Business. If you're looking for a career change and you're not sure where to start, the Resume Rescue can help. Sure, there's no such thing as the perfect fit for everyone, but here at the Resume Rescue, we're on a mission to find the perfect solution for you. Whether it's changing careers, updating a resume, learning LinkedIn, or practicing interviewing, we have you covered. Find us online at theresumerescue.com and find all of our contact info in our show notes.